right, well, good morning, and you may be seated. Go ahead and turn uh, in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 6. And before I start this morning, Miss Rachel, it's good to see you. A lot of prayers went up for you and your family. And God, in his kindness and goodness, has brought you back to your church family. So I think I speak on behalf of all of us. We have missed you. So I know through conversations I've had with Pastor Doug, it's pretty tough. So I think I speak for Pastor Jim, Pastor Doug, and myself. We are very thankful for our wives. God has blessed each of us. So I hope Rachel, Kathy, and Mandy, you know that you are loved. Amen. Amen. Mark chapter 6. We continue on today in our series of the gospel of the suffering servant. The message today is entitled, Rejected at Home. Rejected at Home. Imagine with me for a moment someone who grows up in Okeechobee and maybe they become a famous athlete or an actor, an actress. Maybe they become president of the United States. Maybe they win the Nobel, Nobel Peace Prize. And then they leave our city for a few years and they come back. You know, what would be our response? Would we have a parade for them? Because we would be so proud and excited to see them. Maybe we would give them a key to the city of Okeechobee. I know things like that have been done before in different places. Maybe there would be a sign made or a big monument in their honor, just giving them recognition for their accomplishments. And now I want you to imagine with me that the Son of God, the Messiah, the Chosen One, the Savior, the Rescuer, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, God in the flesh, actually grew up in your hometown. Think about that. The living God growing up in your hometown. He goes away to other parts to do ministry. You begin to hear reports of this one that grew up among you, that he has power over nature. He was able to be, say, be still, and the, the raging seas were calmed. You begin to hear reports that he has power over demons. Those that were demon-possessed, completely healed and made well. Or maybe you hear the reports that he touches the eyes of the blind. He touches those that are lame. He gives hearing to those that couldn't hear. And these reports are coming in. And finally, there's a report that he does the impossible. He resurrects a little girl from the dead. For these were not just any reports. These are the truths about Jesus and what he had done. What would be your response? 
when the living God comes back to his hometown. So in our text today, we will see the response of Nazareth to the coming home of Jesus. And sadly, it's not a very good response. So let's read together Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. He, referring to Jesus, went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter? The son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon and are not his sisters here with us. And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do, excuse me, he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. Let's pray together. God, as always, we're completely dependent upon you. Father, I know in my heart, I am a wretched sinner that's only here by your grace. God, only by the power of the gospel, the power of your spirit, am I able to be able to stand here today. And I pray that you would help me just deliver your word. And then, Father, I pray for your people today. As Pastor Doug has already prayed, create in us a clean heart. Give us ears to hear. May we receive your word today as the bread of life. And then, Father, we also pray and we beg that you would bring dead hearts to life through the power of your gospel. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray together. Amen. Well, let's start in verse 1 there in Mark chapter 6. It says, he went away from there. Well, where's the there? Well, that's what we've been preaching through. The last few weeks, he was in Capernaum. And if you've been here and you remember, we saw some mighty miracles of Christ. Uh, We were able to witness him healing the woman with the blood issue, this terrible disease. And she has faith to simply touch the hem of his garment. And she's completely made well, not just physically, but God grants her salvation through his amazing grace and love. And then in the midst of that story, we were reading about the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, and how he also was a man of faith. And as he was trusting in Christ, his little girl, uh, she dies, but Jesus tells him to continue to believe, and he does. And sure enough, as Jesus gets to the home, we learned last week that Jesus resurrects this little girl from the dead. And so all these great things that have happened there in Capernaum, Jesus now leaves 
to go, as the text says in verse 1, he comes to his hometown. And so we have to ask ourselves, well, where was the hometown of Jesus? Well, in Mark chapter 1, verse 24, you don't have to turn there, but in other places of the gospel, we see that Jesus was from Nazareth. Now, we know that as a baby, he was born in Bethlehem, but when you look at his upbringing as a child, he grew up in the town of Nazareth. A little bit about Nazareth as I was studying this. It was a small place. It was only about 60 acres. I think this piece of property is right around seven acres. So Nazareth was not a big place, about 60 acres. It was rocky. It had many hills. Guys, it only had a population of about 500 people. Very small. It's never mentioned in the Old Testament. Josephus, the Jewish historian, never mentions Nazareth. It's never mentioned in any other Jewish documents. It was a very obscure, out-of-the-way place, about 25 miles southwest of Capernaum. Remember when Nathaniel, he was being introduced to Jesus by Philip, what he had to say about Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Basically, this was known as like the armpit of Israel. It was not a good place. But as I thought about that, Pastor Doug, does that not just fit our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? His humility, the one who steps out of the glory of heaven, takes on flesh, comes as a little baby boy, born in the small town of Bethlehem, another very obscure place, and he grows up in Nazareth. Nobody wanted to be a part of Nazareth. But that's where God chose to grow up. That's amazing. It just shows us how kind and how loving our God is, and he cares from, for all people, regardless of where you grow up, regardless of your walk of life. Now, it also says there in verse 1 that his disciples were following him. Let's not forget that Jesus was a great teacher. He was known as a rabbi, a Jewish teacher. And so he had these disciples that he was training and he was equipping. And so they come along here to Nazareth. Now, this was not his first time actually coming home to Nazareth for his public ministry. This was his second time. So let's talk about, well, what happened the first time Jesus went back to Nazareth after he started his public ministry around age 30. Flip over to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Luke chapter 4, verse 16 It just simply says, this is after his temptation of, from the devil in the wilderness, the first part of Luke 4, says in verse 16, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Now, I don't have time, but when you read through that, he preaches through Isaiah 61. And he teaches them that he is the fulfillment of that passage. 
He's the Messiah. He's the one preaching the gospel to the poor, setting the captives free, causing the blind to be able to see. All these things that you see there as you read through Luke 4. And then he begins to call out the Jewish people for their unbelief. And he gives some examples from the Old Testament of how they didn't believe the prophet Elijah. And he had to go to this widow of Zarephath in order uh, to perform this mighty miracle because of the unbelief of God's people. So after he does all that, let's see how the people of Nazareth responded to Jesus the first time he was there. Now remember, Jesus is the Son of God, absolute perfection, absolute goodness that had grown up in their town. Look at verse 28 to see how they respond. When they had heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up, and they drove him out of the town, and they brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. There was no parade. There was no celebration. In their sinful anger and selfishness, they were already ready to kill Jesus. That's like, pff, blows your mind of just the sinfulness of our hearts. That's their response. Well, maybe the second time will go better. So let's go back to Mark chapter 6. So Jesus is now a year or so into his ministry. I've already mentioned to you all these wonderful things that Jesus has been doing. He now comes back to Nazareth. Look at verse 2. So on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. We have seen this over and over. On the Sabbath, Jesus would go into the synagogue and he would preach and teach the word of God. Just like we on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, Resurrection Day, what do we do? We gather to hear the word of God taught. So Jesus is doing this. Look at verse 2. It goes on to say, Many who heard him were astonished. That means they were amazed. They're overwhelmed with his power, his authority, his wisdom. Jesus was able to teach in a way that no rabbi, no teacher had ever taught before. So they go on to say in verse 2, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Because think about the people of Nazareth. Jesus grew up as a little boy in their midst. They knew him. They knew his family. They're thinking he didn't go to some rabbinical school. He's not some great scholar. We know his family. They were not affluent. They were not anything special. Who in the world does this guy think he is? And where does he have this power and authority? Where did he receive it? How is this possible? And so in verse 3, they continue their questioning. Is not this the carpenter? Was it, was it his dad, Joseph, the carpenter? 
These were the guys who worked with wood and stone. They were the handymen around town. Jesus very well may have done projects at their homes, fixing things. They knew who Jesus was. Wasn't he just a handyman, a common laborer around town? And now he's teaching in this way. They, they just couldn't wrap their hearts, their minds around this. So then they go on there in verse 3. Is he not also the son of Mary? Now you need to understand this is a dig on Jesus. This is a slight. This is a put down. In Jewish culture, whether your dad was alive or not, and we don't know if Joseph was alive or not at this point, the scriptures don't say, but you would always be, be referred to as the son of your father. How do they refer to Jesus? As the son of Mary. How was Jesus born? Remember? It was a work of God. He was born of the Virgin Mary. It was a work of the Spirit of God. Like none other, like never has happened before, never will happen again. We believe as a church in the virgin birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, guess who didn't believe in that? The people of Nazareth. Wasn't this the guy that was born of Mary? This had to have been some kind of relationship out of wedlock, born in sexual immorality. Is this not the same person? They're ridiculing Jesus. It's scorn. They're putting him down. And then they go on. Is he not the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? We know this family. And there's surely nothing special about them. And then look at verse 3. Pastor Jim, to me, this was like the most sad part of this passage, the end of verse three, and they took offense at him. Instead of embracing Jesus as their Lord, as their savior, as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the son of God, they take offense. And here's what that means. In the Greek, the word is scandaliso, which is where we get our word scandalous. It means to cause a general public outrage by a perceived offense. It means to cause another anger or shock. They are angry at Jesus. They're shocked. They are appalled that this man would make the claims that he's making. Sad. One commentator said this, rejection is common to the Lord and to his church. Let me say that again. Rejection is common to the Lord and to his church. Have you ever been rejected in your life? Probably all of us in some way, shape or form have experienced 
rejection. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. When you think about rejection, some application this morning, the one person that would know about rejection and how you feel would be Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16 says this. Very familiar passage, but it's so good. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. Jesus knows all of our struggles. And then look at verse 16. I want to encourage you, if you don't get anything else out of today, think upon verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our times of need. Are you in need this morning? And everybody should say amen, because we're all in need in some way, shape, or form. You can go to the throne of grace and receive help in your time of need. Let's go back to Mark chapter 6. Verse 4, continuing on in the passage, Jesus has a response to all of their questions, their ridicule, their scorn of them taking offense at him. He says in verse 4, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. We've already talked about the reception from the townspeople about his relatives and his household. Remember Mark chapter 3, 20 and 21? What his own family thought about Jesus? He's cuckoo, crazy. He's out of his mind. That's what his own family thought about him. Or how about John chapter 7, verse 5? Even his own brothers do not believe in him. Now, in God's grace, we know a couple of them do come to faith in Christ. We'll save that for another day. John 8, 48. The Jewish leaders, you know what they had to say about Jesus in addition to all the other things I've said? This man has a demon. He's demon-possessed. He's of Satan. So when people say bad things about you and they criticize you and they ridicule you, guess what? Go to Jesus. Nobody has said or done anything to you compared to what happened to our Lord and Savior. And I thought about this too. Let's be real with one another. Sometimes the hurt and the rejection happens the most right inside our own home. Sadly, we say and we do things to one another. Let's be honest, it's terrible, myself included. So Doug, thank you for challenging us to just go before the Lord that he would create a clean heart in us. We need to be doing that moment by moment. 
we hurt the people that are the closest to us. And that's not right. We need to repent. We need to ask for forgiveness. We need to be about the gospel in our homes. Look at verse 5. I don't know about y'all, but I'm hot. (laughs) Verse 5. It goes on to say about Jesus. He could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. You know, I thought about those few sick people that he healed. It doesn't really say who they were. Maybe I mean, again, Jesus would have known probably all 500 of the people that were there. This is where he grew up. And so probably in some of his close relationships, there were some people in his kindness and in his compassion, in the midst of all of this rejection, all of this ridicule, he still lovingly touches a few and he brings healing to their bodies. But sadly... Verse, the start of verse 5, it says he could do no mighty work there. All the mighty works we saw in Mark chapter 5, the demon-possessed man. I mean, you got a guy living out in the graveyard, has nothing to do with God, and Jesus heals this man, grants him salvation, takes the demons out of him. We saw with the woman with the issue of blood that was healed. We saw Jairus' daughter resurrected. From death, and now he comes to Nazareth, and there's no mighty work there. Okay, that doesn't mean that Jesus somehow lost his power supply. He didn't have the power anymore to heal. It's not getting at that. It doesn't mean that man dictates when Jesus heals or when he doesn't heal. But, thought about this, Israel. There's a biblical truth, and this is scary. This is Romans 1, Pastor Jim. God can choose to leave us to ourselves and our hard hearts and our unbelief. And that's what he does at Nazareth. That's a scary thing. They're getting what they're asking for. In Romans 1, God gives the people over to their lustful hearts and their debased minds. In Hebrews chapter 10, the hard hearts of apostasy, it says it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. We don't ever want God to give us over to our unbelief. Think about Nazareth. This town had heard and seen and touched the living God. They had been in the presence of absolute perfection for years. They had seen a little boy grow up that never quarreled, never lost his temper, never told lies, never acted selfishly, was never disobedient, was always respectful. They had seen absolute goodness in addition to all the other things I've already mentioned, and they completely missed it. That's sad. That's the sinfulness of our hearts apart from God's grace. And you know what the scary thing is? Maybe for somebody that's either listening via Facebook or here today. God and his grace, he's allowed you to grow up in a Christian home. He's allowed us to be a part of a biblical church, not a perfect church, but a biblical church. You've heard 
the gospel since you've been in diapers, and yet you choose to not believe. That should cause you to shake in your boots if you got boots on. Young people, hear me say this. You're very blessed to be a part of this church. God's blessed you. What are you going to do with the truth of God's word? Don't be like the people of Nazareth. Hebrews eleven six says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Do you believe in the Lord God, Jesus Christ today? Have you surrendered your life? To him. And now we come to the last verse, another sad part of this passage in verse 6. It says, Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. That word marveled means he's amazed. He wonders at their unbelief. You realize there's only two times we see that word used of Jesus, of him marveling or being astonished about something. Only two times in the Gospels. This is one time when he's marveling at their unbelief. The other one was in Luke chapter 7. We don't have time to go, go there. But the Roman centurion, he had a servant that needed to be healed. He had such faith in Jesus, this Roman centurion. He's like, Jesus, I'm not even worthy for you to come to my house. You just say the word and my servant will be healed. And you know what Jesus, how he responded? It says he marveled at this man's faith. And he says, I haven't seen faith like this nowhere in Israel. Now that word unbelief there in verse 6, it means to not believe in the good news about Jesus. To refuse to trust, to lack faith in Jesus. Of all places that should have believed in Jesus, you would think it would have been Nazareth, his hometown. But instead... They rejected him. Of all places you would think that people would follow and believe in Jesus, it would be right here in Okeechobee, right here at Everglades Baptist Church, and yet there's probably somebody here that you have and you are rejecting Jesus Christ. John 3.36 says, He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. He that believes not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth or remains on him. Unbelief is serious. It's life or death. It's eternity in heaven with Christ, or it's eternity in hell suffering God's wrath. Because of their unbelief, Jesus went to other villages and continue to teach. So as I conclude this morning, does Jesus marvel, I wonder, at the unbelief of America today? Think about our country and how it was started of religious freedom and the beliefs that there was a God, the freedom of Christianity. Instead of believing now God is creator, we believe in the lie of evolution. Instead of valuing life as a country, we murder hundreds of thousands of babies every year 
Instead of valuing marriage, we value pornography, sexual immorality, adultery, and homosexuality. Instead of following what the Bible says on gender, we create our own genders. Instead of us churches trusting in the word of God to save people, we come up with all of our man-made gimmicks and methods, and we think they're better than the word of God. Are we more like Nazareth than we realize? Sadly, in many ways, we have taken offense with Jesus. He's scandalous to us. And Jesus angers us because he comes against our selfish desires and our selfish ways. One commentary put it this way. Humanity wants something other than what God gives. Let's close with John chapter 1 and then I'll pray. John 1, 9 through 13. This is the last call of the gospel. If you haven't heard anything else that I've said, listen now to God's word. John 1, 9 through 13, and then we'll, we'll pray, I promise. You know, as I'm experiencing the sunlight right now, it's in no comparison to the light of God and his holiness. John 1, 9, it says, the true light, talking about Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Have we not seen that today? But all oh, the gospel of grace of 12 and 13, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but they were born of God. Have you been born of God today? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Let's pray together. God, even the light that's coming down on me, it's a reminder. God, this is your creation. And the sunlight is no comparison, God, to you. Jesus, you are the light of the world. You are absolute perfection, sinlessness. You're set apart. You're glorious. You're majestic. I could speak for the next hundreds of thousands of hours and never even come close to being able to magnify, Jesus, how glorious you are. Lord, may we not be like the people of Nazareth today that we read about. What a sad passage that, Jesus, you were rejected by your own people. The blindness of their hearts, the selfishness of their hearts, the hardness of their hearts, the sinfulness of their hearts. Only, Jesus, you set us free from the bondage of our own hearts, the bondage of sin, the deadness of our hearts. As Ephesians 2 said, but God who's rich in mercy, rich in grace, bestowing his love and grace upon us, we would be left unto ourselves. So God, would you be gracious today to save many? Oh, Father, may we turn from our sin and look to Christ. 
putting our faith and trust in the only one who can give us eternal life and forgiveness of sin. God, change our hearts for the glory of your name. Do a mighty work in this church family. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and we'll worship the Lord through song.